everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on the Hope for Today broadcast. I'm your host, Doran Wengerd, founder of Wengerd Ministries, where we are delivering hope to every heart. This is the fifth message in the Hope in the Body series. My previous message in this series is called Faith in Action, because without action, our faith has nothing to stand on. In fact, the Bible says it is actually dead. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but the only way to keep your faith alive is to use it. There is no such thing as simply keeping the faith as we've heard it described. If you don't use it, it will eventually die. Now, I want to encourage you here. This is not to be a discouraging message about your faith dying. This is to be an encouraging message about your faith growing. Because everything in the Word of God, everything that Jesus taught, was not only to keep your faith alive, but to just to grow it tremendously. So, last time, I talked about putting your faith in action by simple obedience. This time, I want to talk about the testing of your faith. What is the testing of your faith? Does God test us? What about temptation? Is the devil involved? These are all questions that have been asked by many people over the years, and really a lot of misunderstanding has come from bad teaching in the church. People want to hear, they want to know, does God bring me hard times to test my faith? Did God cause that to happen so that I would turn to him? What about people in ministry who say God made them paralyzed or gave them a sickness so that they could minister to others with the same problem? Well, I would like to answer this question for you today. Hopefully this gives you the answers that you're looking for, because they're all in the word if we're willing to see them. So what exactly is the testing of your faith? I want to talk about uh, not only the testing of your faith, but also a principle that is often overlooked, and that's the principle of surrender. One of the things that has been such a dividing line in, in the, the body of Christ is that people say, you know, we need to be surrendered, we need to bear our cross, we need to be willing to take it, basically. And I would say, yes, you're correct that we are to surrender, but we are not to surrender to sickness, poverty, stress, or other problems. And here's why. Surrender is a principle that is, it's a kingdom principle, but surrender is how you came to the Lord in the first place. You know, Jesus, when Jesus would say something, it, it, it would sound backwards or upside down. He, he would say, Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life shall save it. He says, uh, he who wants to be greatest among you shall be the servant of all. Uh, he, he says, you know, all of these things that we, we read it, we say, well, that's upside down. I would say it's right side up and everything else is upside down. It's a kingdom of servant leadership. It's a kingdom of surrender to the power of God. It's a, it's a kingdom of trust. So, if we look at the things that Jesus said and the way he described coming to the Father, we realize that trust is really one of the most important things. It can't be faked or counterfeited. If, if complete trust is not exercised, then your faith is dead. And really, that is what stops the power of God in our lives. We can't have it both ways. We operate in line with the laws of the kingdom of God, or we operate contrary to them. Now, I have heard uncertainty about this, 
as much or more than any other thing. Other thing, people sometimes they even think they have a special circumstance that justifies their interpretation. And I would say, just look at the word. I've heard them say, you know, I believe God can heal me if it's His will. Sometimes they even say, I do believe God wants to heal me, but then why have I not received what He did for me? Now, I truly think this is one of the core questions on the hearts of people. And I could have started here in these messages, but we would have missed it. That's why we had to start with hope in the spirit, where it all begins, hope in the soul, where our faith is active, and then hope in the body, where we see it come to light. We see it manifest in our bodies. But I'm sure that people are asking, if, now if what you're saying is true, then how do I receive these good things from God? How does what you're saying truly become a reality in my life? I mean, it's not just healing. It can be financial. It can be, sure, it can be healing, but it can be relationships, emotional pain, anything that would be an effect of the original uh, disconnect that happened in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. Every result of that is what God sent Jesus to reverse, to turn around, to make so that we can truly overcome. So how do we receive from God? How do we actually find hope in the body? The answer is to stay in line with the kingdom of God. We stay in line with the laws of the kingdom of God. We look in the word. See, God does call us to surrender. But again, not to sickness, not to poverty, not to any other effects of sin. We surrender to the power of God in our lives. The way to receive the goodness of God is to surrender to it. The way to receive healing from God is to surrender to it. The way to receive financial provision from God is to surrender to it. The way to receive emotional restoration from God is to surrender to it. You know, even when you were born again, in order to receive his forgiveness from sin, you had to come to the place of full surrender to his free gift. This is why it has been so difficult, especially for someone with a religious mind, to, to come to grips with the fact that you're telling me I have forgiveness of sin. Okay, I can believe that. You're telling me I have healing. Hmm, maybe. You're telling me I have financial provision. There has to be some work. There has to be something that I need to do. But I'm telling you, this is part of the true redemption, the full gospel that Jesus paid for on the cross. He came to set all of the captives free from every effect of sin. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, uh, it, it's described basically the way that we receive anything and everything from God. It's, it requires us, you know, just to, in surrender, we receive it, but without any effort on our own. We, we, don't, we can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't do it by our own power. The good works that we walk in then will, that will be because of his enabling power not in order to gain access to his power. So what we do is we, we access it by faith, by grace, through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. But then when he says, he gives us a word and he says, do this, and we act on it, our faith becomes alive, and then is when we see growth in our faith. So when we can yield completely to his power for forgiveness, we can then yield completely to his power for healing, for prosperity, for freedom, 
and then we will continually give him the glory. And then we can offer that. We can offer forgiveness and healing and prosperity and freedom to every person that we meet. So I'd like to challenge you to take the time to ask the Lord about this. Ask him for revelation about it, and then open the word for your answer. Everything that you discover should be after first spending time in the Word of God and then also spending time in the presence of Jesus himself. So what about this question that I asked earlier? Does God test your faith? And if he does test your faith, then what does that look like? Now, I want to start out in James and I want to, I want to read how James separates out trials and testing. Just listen to this. James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now there's two words here. Trials and testing. And from what I've heard, the, the, the way this was described is people equate the two. They say, well, the trials are the testing. And I would differ. The trials are something that you fall into. James says very clearly, count it all joy when you fall into trials. So this is very clear to me that God did not bring these trials. But as we walk along in life, we, we find ourselves having fallen into trials. But when you find yourself there, you find yourself in the pit, it is right then that God tests your faith. He gives you a word and he expects you to believe it. So the testing of your faith is to get you out of the trial, not to keep you in it. So God did not bring you the trial. He brought you his word, which then your faith is tested to believe his word. The word might, be, might come directly from the word of God. It might be something that you read. It could be a rhema word spoken directly to your heart by the Lord himself. It could be something that he put on the heart of another person and then expected them to be obedient in delivering the message. But the message will always be one of hope and not one of discouragement. There are people who say they're giving you a word from the Lord, but it is a message of discouragement, saying that God has brought you this trial and you're supposed to accept it. Surrender to the trial. That is not at all in keeping with the message of the gospel. I want to continue on. I want to read verse, uh, five, verses 5 through 8 here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, remember, verse 4 said, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now that's the goal. If you want to know the goal of the gospel is that you are perfect and complete and that you lack nothing in any area. So then he says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives how? God gives liberally and without reproach. He just says, yes, here you go. All the promises of God are yes and amen. He gives, but he says, Ask with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Driven and tossed by the wind, that man will not receive anything from the Lord. He's unstable. He's double-minded. Get it. Understand this. James is telling us so clearly how to receive from the Lord. All right, now I want to read in uh, verse 12. And, and I just want to look at this because 
again, this is, hear the heart behind it. The heart, the heart behind what James is trying to describe. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Do you get that? Do you understand? His will is that you you are able to receive every good and every perfect gift. That's his heart for you. He He's telling you, this is how you do it because this is how God is wired. This is how... The, the, the very makeup of God himself is for you to have every good and every perfect gift. And then he says, don't be deceived. God, it, God cannot even tempt you. He says, don't say I'm tempted by God. So this is a third word. There's trials, temptations, and testing. Testing comes from the word of God where he says, believe it. Believe my word. Trials are things we fall into. Temptations are things that from our own desires. Did you get it? Did you read it? Did you hear it? It's something that comes from the sin part of us, the sin nature of us. It's drawn. We are drawn into it. It's not from God. God does not do it. He cannot do it. In fact, in verse 13, James basically says, how can you even think that it is possible for temptation or trials to come from God? Most of the time, People asking this question are not even thinking that God is attacking them directly, but they have begun to believe that God is simply allowing the evil remotely. He's removed his hand or he's, he's somehow allowed it. So this is my question. Is God allowing negative things to happen to you or to those around you? My answer is, yes, God has allowed all sorts of things for thousands of years. But that does not mean that it was his will. See, we have to understand when we say, is God allowing this? We're saying, is God authorizing it? Is he somehow using this negative thing by by not stopping it? And I'm telling you, he has not stopped evil ever since Adam and Eve sinned. Was it his will that they sinned? Was it God's will that Cain killed Abel? What about every other horrible and tragic thing that people have done since then? Were all of those things his will? And I know there are people who say, yes, those things, God is in control and he's doing all those things. And I'm telling you, if your answer is that, if your answer is that, yes, God does those things, God authorizes those, those things, then I can promise you, you will not recognize him when you see him. That is not the nature of God. He is not doing those things. He is not authorizing those things. He has given us the answer for them. He's given us the answer so that we can have hope, true hope in the body, and that we can be overcomers. You know, people have faced persecution in nearly every country in the world. Christians are threatened and tortured and killed for their belief in Jesus and for possessing the word of God. And when these things continue to happen over time, people begin to wonder, why is God allowing this thing to happen to me? They ask, you know, God, where are you at? How could, you, how could you let this happen? 
So my question is, have you found yourself ever questioning if God has a purpose for the negative circumstances in your life? Have you asked God, what are you trying to show me? You know, some people even say, this trouble is given to me by God to teach me a lesson or to make me become more like Jesus. But is that true? Is that how he makes you more like Jesus? I've even heard people say, God is sovereign. If he wanted to stop this, he could. I'm asking, is that how God operates? Does he do it that way? Is that in keeping with what he did and what he taught, what Jesus taught? We've had, around here, we've had multiple uh, Amish teenagers killed in bicycle accidents recently. And I just had a, a man ask me the other day, he said, what is God trying to teach us by all of this? And my response to him was, God doesn't need to kill your children in order to speak to you. And he had never heard that before. He just stopped and thought, well, isn't God in control of all of this? And I said, no, this is the devil. This is the work of the devil. Or it could be the work of just living in a society where accidents happen. But does this man's question sound familiar? Have you ever thought that? Or have you known someone who has? Have you found yourself in a situation like this? But when James heard this coming from the early believers, his answer was very blunt. He says, stop it. Let no man say this. How dare you accuse God of even remotely permitting or authorizing these things to happen to you? That isn't God at all. It's not in his nature. But you know, it was easy for the Jewish believers to think that God was involved in that because in Old Testament times, people generally thought everything came from God. And it was basically the attitude of, of everyone in the Old Testament that ultimately all things came either directly from God or, were, or they were allowed by God. But the problem with this way of thinking is that it opens up a person's heart to receive what the devil is doing and then embracing it as if it's God's will. But it was Jesus who brought a revelation of the devil. Jesus taught and showed by his example that God can do only good and the devil can do only bad. Everything changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament when Jesus took all authority back from the devil. See, Adam had given it to him, but Jesus bought it back with his very life. And this sealed the payment of covenant between God and man. And now the kingdom of God has come to earth. Jesus said to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I can promise you, there is no sickness or pain or death in heaven. That's why when James heard the Jews wondering if the evil in their lives was God's way of somehow helping them conform to the image of Christ, he actually counted it as an insult. Not only would God God never do that, he simply could not. Remember, verse 13 says, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So God simply doesn't have any evil to give. He took all evil and effects of sin for us and buried them with Christ. So for Jesus to have taken all of this for us and then for God to give them back to us would be for him to cancel out all of the work of Jesus on the cross and God would never do that. It would be unjust of God And, you know, he uses his word for correction and instruction in righteousness. He says, put your faith to the test and get yourself out of that negative situation. Anything that comes to steal, kill, or destroy does not come from God. 
even when we have been the cause of our problems. Because of sinfulness in our own hearts, God always has a way out. He always ha- he, he's always there to deliver us from the temptation. He cannot give us trials or tempt us with evil or destruction, but he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And he's always and continually pressing toward us with his goodness. He, he'll never stop. He'll never stop. He's trying to accomplish his blessing and favor in our lives, no matter what we do. But it takes a choice on our part to turn toward him and to his word to receive it by faith. You don't have to question if, if something evil is from God. It's an only religious thinking that convinces people that through terrible circumstances, God is somehow trying to conform you into the image of Christ. That's not in the word. That's religious thinking. That's an insult to the integrity of God. God can change you into the image of Christ without sickness and disease. He doesn't need to bring evil to you. He doesn't need to bring poverty to you in order to teach you a lesson. If it's evil or destructive, negative, you don't even have to stop and ask yourself, is God secretly doing this? The answer is very simple. If it fails the test of James 1.17, you can already know what to receive. And, and you know we, you receive it or you resist it. James 4.7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So when you receive the negative things as if it's God's will, you give the devil free reign to do what he wants instead of persevering through tribulation. In Romans 5, uh, Paul talks about this. And I'll just share this as well because this is really an answer to persevering and seeing the hope behind it. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So notice this. Paul says, not only should you look at tribulation through this lens, but you should glory in it, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, character, and hope. So by glory in the tribulations, it doesn't mean welcome them, ask for them, let them be. We use the tribulations to exercise our faith to get out of them. Jesus even talked about how to deal with trials and tribulations. He says, be of good cheer. Or in other words, be full of joy because he has overcome the world. This means that his power is greater than anything that can happen to us in the world. That's in John 16, He says, these things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble or tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world so that we can. So what do we do then in a situation where we find ourselves in a trial, in a tribulation? Now, I do just what you might expect that I would do. I go to the Lord and I ask for a word from him. I know that when I get a word from Yahweh, the Lord, then it will happen, guaranteed. When he gives me a word, I can put my faith on it and I'll see it happen. So when you get a word from the Lord, then you surrender to his power to accomplish that word and you watch your faith grow. Believe it. Believe it deeper than your thoughts. Believe it in your soul. See, God has given us the seed of his faith to overcome trials and trouble in life. 
I'm not talking about simply mustering up enough willpower to believe with your brain that some situation can be corrected. I'm talking about true faith accessing the power of God in your life. Count it all joy. Be of good cheer. He has overcome the world so that it can never overcome you. Let your faith be tested time and time again as you persevere with character and hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.